0: Okay. Good. So let's get into Nathan. Uh, Last time we had gotten to the prologue. So not very far by definition. Um, And from what I remember is that we talked about the play as um, kind of delivering a message or positioning itself in terms of this idea of religious tolerance, that it was a play about an idea, and I wanted to transmit that idea. This is obviously very different from most of the theater that we've been looking at. Uh, I, I would say the exception is *Everyman*, where there is this clear message in *Everyman* that if you sacrifice worldly goods and embrace good deeds and faith, you can be uh, taken to heaven. Right? You can you can be freed from from damnation, and so there's this this clear allegory there. Uh, This play also functions in that way, but um, it doesn't exactly function in that way because it's not an allegory, but it is a play that is socially engaged. This we learn from the prologue and also probably from the text. And it's no wonder that the Berliner Ensemble saw it as um, a play that's part of the tradition that someone like Brecht, who we, we covered either last week or the week before, that Brecht was involved in, namely um, being able to use drama to engage in social criticism. Brecht does it in a very different way than uh, than everybody else, but especially that, than Lessing. But this is a play with an intention, and in. In Lessing's day, there was there were consequences for this style of play uh, and for this play in particular. Um, it actually was outlawed for a little while, not only on the stage but even to be published. the The reason being that it was seen as being um, anti-Christian. Uh, Lessing was also involved in uh, the translation of. A few books that was that were interested in the historical Jesus, and in so doing, in being investigated, in, in being invested in the historical Jesus, you are, in some cases, um, making the tacit and in some cases not so tacit argument uh, against the divinity of Jesus. Right? If you're you're interested in the personhood in the biography then the spiritual biography is is possibly something that could be questioned. So um, all of those things are part of Lessing's biography. Um, they're part of the, the background of this play. And yet it's circulated. As we could see, our edition is, I think, 1781, and it's already in England and translated uh, from a initial 1779 publication. So. That's that's kind of the background here or a little more background. We did we did a lot of background on Monday. Um and I want to start then with some basic kind of plot points and laying out the design here. So where and when does this play take place?
1: Um I'm not one hundred percent sure on the when, but it takes place in Jerusalem. I think I'm pretty sure.
0: Yep, exactly. It takes. I
1: think it's in the Crusades too,
2: right?
0: Hmm. Exactly. Thank you. It's uh, Jerusalem and the Crusades specifically. It is the Third Crusade. So around eleven ninety. Um, for for you you crusade people it's it's the 1190s and this is either the end of the third crusade in which Saladin and um, the Islamic forces that he ruled were successful or it is at a pause in the crusade in which Saladin and his Islamic forces are going to be successful in either case it is at a, a point in which Christians are losing or have lost and um, muslim rule is established right so looking at these these two things the the setting both in time and space is is very important for a lot of the themes of these plays why do you think that is why, why do you think i think that is Oh, I, I think Sonia got it first So Sonia you're up
2: Oh I was just going to say It provides a little more context And gets you into the head of the audience During that time
0: Okay uh, not incri- the, the head of the audience during what time
2: Oh during, when the play is set Or when it's when it was like first performed I don't know Oh okay so
0: like the, the the late 18th century
1: Yeah
0: Okay and what do you mean by gets in the head of How does the setting and location get in the head of? Um, uh,
2: well, maybe that was the wrong choice of four. It's, I feel like, um, I'm not sure what I meant, actually. Okay.
0: That's okay. That's fine. We, we, we all stumble. That's, that's cool. Uh, Rachel, what did you have?
1: Um, I was going to ask you to repeat the question, (laughs) but going off of what Sonia said, Mm -hmm. um, Having it set in Jerusalem, I think, is an interesting choice because there's such a huge, like, religious connotation, Mm -hmm. um, especially within Christianity, with that. Um, So to kind of set this play about religious tolerance in a place that's so important to Christians, I think is a very interesting
0: choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's the holy site for the three the, those three religions christianity judaism and and uh islam and um it was seen uh probably by the the audience or at least the ancestors of the audience the presumed audience since it was it was uh, banned from stage uh Jerusalem was seen as the rightful inheritance of uh christian people right and catholic people so i mean these people they they would be christian but you know whatever yeah the, the rightful inheritance it's also the place where all of these religions are focused right is it's this Ven or shared space for islam judaism and, and christianity um and then of course setting it right after the end of a religious war is uh Particularly poignant, since you have, um, since you actually have the religious adherence, the, the adherence to a particular ideology as sparking violence, and this is a, a point of peace. Obviously, not a particularly long-lasting one. Even if this is the end of the uh, the third, um, the third crusade, we have a fourth crusade within. I think. L- I want to say less than 10 years, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so yeah, so we have this site of uh, shared religious experience, contended religious experience that has inspired religious war, right? and war probably would be the greatest expression of of intolerance. And so the the setting, time and space is obviously pretty important to to a lot of these themes so what is the the general plot then going on what is the what is the what is the conflict with let's let's look at different characters what's the conflict with the knight what happens to him that that throws his world into disarray
1: um i know he he rescues the daughter of the jewish merchant um and then i also i think that there's something about him like spying on or something with the uh Salad, saladin saladin
0: yeah saladin um, mm-hmm
1: So there's kind of like a a conflict of morality and religion that kind of goes on there.
0: Okay, good. So in the beginning of the play, Nathan, who's who's the merchant, uh, his house is on fire. His daughter, Rika, is uh, certainly in trouble. Um, And then the Knight Templar, he saves her and he takes her out. Uh, And then there's also the, the problem where with Saladin, and, um, yeah, Saladin does, I believe, ask him to be, to be like a, a spy at one point, which he turns down, but the, the major issue that he has with Saladin is, or not issue, but, um, the major interaction he has with Saladin is one. what? What what does Saladin do when they first meet? occurs before the beginning of the play, right? So the Knights Templar, the the Knight has been captured. Uh, He was captured along with like 20 other Knights of that order of, of the Templars. What happens to those other Knights that doesn't happen to this character?
1: specifically but I'm gonna take a guess
0: does he kill them yeah Saladin kills the other ones and he spares this knight. does anybody remember why he spares this one night no I can't remember. <laughs> that's okay he looks like his brother he looks like Saladin's brother so the knight resembling Saladin's brother therefore is spared Right. And that's it. So that that's the reason he gives. And so we have the, the knight now is obliged to um, is obliged to Saladin for his life. And he is also um, he also gets involved in with Nathan because he rescues Nathan's daughter and they are smitten with one another, even though the knight has uh, pretty strong reservations. Does anybody know what a Templar is? They became kind of famous because of the Da Vinci Code, of, uh, like, 15 years ago, or whenever the hell that book came out. Um, but they're, the, the the Templars were a religious order, knights, who protected pilgrims going to the Holy Land. So they were, that, that was their job. Uh, you know, I think in the Da Vinci code, they become like conspiracy people or something. It, 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 it becomes very, the, the legends of the Templars become, um, very, very funny, but what they were in their own day and probably understood in Lessing's day was they were, they were knights who protected pilgrims going to Jerusalem. And in this play, um, they're described as, or the Knights Templar, he's described as half monk, half warrior, right? Like half monk, half knight. And so while he is a secular or a lay figure in the sense that he's not, um, he, he doesn't appear to be a priest, uh, yet he is still um, someone whose job is, is given to him by the Pope. Right, he has this, this religious job. He's part of the church in this fundamental way. Um, so he becomes a, like a good stand in for Christianity. Okay, good. So we've laid that out. Um, let's talk about, uh, Saladin and Nathan. So they end up interacting and what are they interacting about? Why is, Why is Saladin calling upon Nathan?
1: He's looking to get a loan from Nathan, I think, or borrow money.
0: Exactly. Yeah, so we learn at the beginning that Saladin is broke. There was this expectation of trade goods coming in from Egypt that has not worked out they just we don't know where they are um and so he wants to appoint nathan his treasurer and we could put up our scare quotes here treasurer means you're responsible for (laughs) for the bills um and and so he wants to to borrow again scare quotes borrow money from nathan because nathan is a very successful merchant in this city um Good. so that so that puts them into into interaction okay and so we have our, our tangled web here is that saladin has given the knight templar his life um, saladin needs money from nathan nathan's adopted daughter has been saved by the the templar and so that's our, our kind of outline here and what ends up happening what do we what is revealed at the end of this play
2: I think Rika and the Knight are related,
0: or something like that. Yeah, they're brother and sister, so it's it's a very Luke Leia play um, because they discover actually they're they, um, they're brother and sister, right? And so that whole really attracted to each other thing um, that that's got to get swept under the rug mighty fast. So yeah, they, they're related to each other.
2: Sorry, I just had a question. Mm-hmm. What was the- point of doing the whole Luke and Leia thing if they were just gonna, I just, I guess I just don't get it. Like, what is the, what's the point?
0: What's the point of them being related?
2: Yeah, like, why is that, like, they were attracted to each other at first, and then we find out they're related. Like, Hmm. why do we have to have that initial attraction?
0: Okay, great. Um, I think, so, I have an answer. Uh, or I think uh, I think um, I have my answer. Um, does anybody want to jump in before I do?
1: Um, the play seems to have a lot of like familial themes to it, um, in the way that all of these people have kind of lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, so, and then there's also like the whole analogy with the the rings and like the brothers and stuff Mm -hmm. so like there's a huge emphasis on like that familial kind of relationship so it kind of feels like having them become like brother and sister at the end is in a way kind of like uniting the three religions, almost? And again, I'm completely spitballing here, so, like, correct me if I'm wrong. But, like, in this case, you have Nathan, who's Jewish, and then you have Reka who was Christian but raised by a Jew, and then you have, uh, the Templar, who's Christian, and then you have the, um... Saladin, who's Muslim and they all kind of owe each other stuff and have these bonds. And so kind of, it kind of like unites all three of them almost, or the three religions. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, and it, it's, it's a good point, Rachel, the, the family, the idea of a unified family, um, acts as a metaphor for this collection of religions, which is, um, which is a, you know, a family of fates, right? They're, they're religions which all look to Abraham as a patriarch. They look to a single father figure, you know, patriarch as the, the person um, from whom all of these religions flow. And, you know, another thing about the, the, the familial tie is, do, do we remember um, how, what other revelation happens at the end with regard to family? What's the other big revelation?
1: That solid Solidon, is related to one of them.
0: He's related to both of them. He both is them. his okay. brother? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they're related to each other. Uh his brother is the father of the knight and Reka, So when he said, Oh, you look just like my brother. I won't kill you. That was a good call. That's his nephew. So I think that, that feeds into this, this idea you're putting forward, Rachel, that the, that family are recognizing everyone in three different religions as occupying the same family. Um, does does talk you know does speak to the unified family that these three religions has uh, you know the the single patriarch that these three religions have um yeah so so there there's that aspect uh there's also another kind of familial tie here is that Nathan's family has been killed in in this religious conflict and the friar had brought him Reka to to raise, and so um, you know Nathan is brought into this family by um, you know out, out of this conflict, he's kind of brought into this family by accepting the responsibility of of raising up one of these girls. So good. So I think I think that is. Um, I think that's exactly right, Rachel, that it's a, it's a collection of families. And let's talk then, we mentioned this a little bit, I think the, did we talk about the ring parable on Wednesday, on a Monday? No, we did not. We did not, okay, thank you. Um, well, and you just mentioned that Rachel, does anybody wanna go into the ring parable and how that also um, resonates with these themes we've been discussing? Or just what what the ring parable is? We'll make it simple. There's an Act Three ring story. What is the the ring story about?
1: I can take one for the team here. Sure. No. <laughs> um, so basically, the story goes that like, um, God or yeah, yeah, God gave um like, this precious ring that has the power of, like, love, I think, or something along... It's a magic ring, basically, um, Mm. but it was basically supposed to represent, kind of, religion, um, and so it got passed down, um, along the family line of, like, father would pass it down to the son, and then that son would pass it down to the son, so on and so forth, um, but then, um... Like, one father had three sons, so he decided to make two more rings um, so that they could all kind of, like, feel like they were part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wasn't playing favorites. Uh, and that, I think, was supposed to be a parallel to religion. I, I mean, it is a parallel to religion. <laughs> um, so... But it ends up kind of backfiring a little bit because then each of the sons starts like fighting amongst each other to see who has like the real ring and each of them want the real ring. So it, it kind of sums up the whole situation with like the three religions in the time that the play is set.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a uh, three rings um, and we don't know. It has like the grace of God and it endows you with the grace of God. We don't know which ring the, the father doesn't want his children, his sons to fight over these rings. So um, he makes two copies that look exactly like the original and no one knows what the the true ring is. Right. And Nathan tells this to Saladin. He tells the story, this parable to Saladin. Why? What is he responding to?
1: Uh, Saladin asks him what he thinks the best religion is.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Saladin asks him what he thinks the best religion is, and Nathan uh is is thrown into a whirlwind he, you know if he says judaism he's insulted the you know this leader um if he says islam then why aren't you muslim right you know why why are you a jew if if you think your religion is wrong and so this story becomes both a means both an illustration of why religious tolerance is necessary. Uh, excuse me, not necessary. Why religious tolerance is rational, right? Cause we don't actually know what one is correct. What, what religion is correct. Um, but the story also has a secondary function of allowing kind of, uh, rational thought or rational discourse to permit, um, the interaction or difficult interactions between people of different cultures. So the story ends up illustrating in its use what the story illustrates in its telling. Does that make a little sense? Yes. Okay, good, thank you. I have Rachel and Sonia as the sounding board uh, and responders of this class. Um, well, good. So yeah, so that that's going on there right so we have that um, now the knight his attraction to his, his sister uh, and his conflict as to what to do with it becomes exacerbated when he learns that she was a Christian raised as a Jew and what does he end up doing that might cause problems even though it doesn't uh, what, who does he end up telling this to Okay, that's fine. So he ends up telling it to this, this kind of mysterious figure, the patriarch. Um, And the patriarch is in one scene. And he's probably the the only figure with no redeeming qualities. Um, And he is the person in Jerusalem who's sort of in charge of Christians. Uh, When when there is violation of Christian rule in um, among Christians in Jerusalem, that seems to be his territory. The exact political responsibility divide between Saladin and the Patriarch is somewhat vague. Um, we're not entirely sure. But it seems when it comes to uh, Christian behavior, the Patriarch is in charge of that. Um, and what is the problem for the Patriarch in regard to Nathan
1: The person that he sends to like spy on Nathan to see you know what's going on recognizes Nathan as the guy who adopted, um, Rika as mm-hmm. a baby. So he's like, oh wait, I know this dude. He's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he he knows that too. But for the patriarch, and um, you know, the knight ends up confessing this to the patriarch. The problem is a Christian girl which is, you know, she was from a Christian mother, even though a, a Muslim father. Um, the, the problem is that she's raised Jewish, which is a big no-no. And so the patriarch is looking looking for blood, looking for, I, I believe, to execute Nathan for raising a Christian Jewish. And um, the knight is is also outraged by this when he finds out that she was a christian by birth and so there's that that added conflict there now of course the all of these conflicts go away there is a sort of shakespearean element to the the comedy of of this play and it is a comedy even though it's dealing with maybe more serious subject matter in the sense that the the ending is happy right and the conflict is turns out everybody's related to everybody so we we don't have to fight um everybody's related to everybody so we don't really have to necessarily worry about should I marry someone who's raised Jewish? Well, you can't marry her anyway because she's your sister. <laughs> um, and also the, uh, the, the problem of the patriarch also then vanishes. And then the problem of the money vanishes too. What we learn in the end from, um, from a minor character, Amir, who comes in, is that the, the trade from Egypt was delayed and now it's here and now you have a ton of money. And so, uh, so Saladin is not going to need to lean on Nathan anymore. Uh, and, and so everything the the conflict that was just like an, as you like it, right. Where it's suddenly like the evil Duke meets a hermit and the hermit says you're evil. And so the Duke gives up everything, you know, it just vanishes. The conflict sort of just vanishes here as well. Um, and and that's that. Uh, I will say what's interesting about reading the kind of critical literature of this is in its day, as I said before, uh, Nathan the Wise was was banned for being kind of anti-Christian. And I think the least sympathetic character, and I could ask you guys this and, and see if you share. The least sympathetic character seems to be the patriarch, who's the representative of authority in the Christian world in this play. Um, everybody else, yeah, Sonia agrees, uh, everybody else seems to have either redeeming characteristics or they they're not on stage long enough for, for it to matter. Um however in like the last 30 years when you read some of the critical literature on Nathan the Wise and uh a lot of it's in German so the the English language critical liter- literature is is few and far between a lot of it is frustrated actually with the the treatment of Judaism. Um and the arguments tend to go that there isn't any kind of specific characteristic of religion of a Jewish religion being depicted here. I would say that's true of, of Muslim, of the Muslim religion as well, of Islam as well, that and I don't actually say it's kind of true Christianity in this play is that the, the particulars of these different religious traditions aren't necessarily highlighted. Um, what do you think, what do you guys think of the fact that we are not actually, let's say, learning, in, in a play about religious tolerance, learning anything about these, this religious diversity in this play? What do you guys think of, of that as, um, as an aesthetic choice that Lessing makes? And what do you think of that as a, a consequential choice? How does that affect his goal in writing this play?
2: I feel like um, I can understand why the author wouldn't put any of the particulars of each religion into the play, because you don't wanna, that's not what you're focusing on, you know? You're focusing on uniting three different groups. But on the other hand, if you're watching this like back in the 1800s and you know nothing about, if you're a Christian and you know nothing about Jewish people or Muslim people, you're not getting an education on anything. And in some cases it might just like, I don't know. Strength, strengthen any prejudices? Prejudices? Is
1: that?
0: Yeah. I guess yeah. That's the plural form. Yeah. You 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 got the plural. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, for the time period, it was pretty. Um, oh, I forgot the word I'm looking for. Not understanding, but like all things considered. Um, especially the way the prologue mentions that like there was a huge issue with um, anti-Semitism in mm. Germany at this time, so like even putting in you know a Jewish character I think kind of goes above and beyond, and then yeah um, so all th- like from a modern standpoint though it definitely feels very stereotypical, um, you know to have like the wealthy. You know, Jewish guy and then you know the Knights Templar is just super obsessed with like killing people and, and making shit like executing stuff. And um, So I think from a modern standpoint, not great. Um, but I also think he could have chosen to not make the religious aspects so pronounced because that isn't what this play is focused on you know, it's focused on people and their relationships. Um, If you take out the fact that each of them, you know, are Jewish or Muslim or Christian, the conflict goes away, but it also, like there's still people. Um, So I think that was an important message to send along is that yes, religion is important, but like at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have, you know, families and we all have these relationships you know with other people um and that like religion shouldn't stop you from making these relationships and getting to know people like that i guess
0: yeah i agree with that i yeah i i think that you you guys are right in the sense that it it's not about the it's not about an education in what a jewish person believes or a um you know a muslim person believes um I think it's also I, I think the critical literature is is that I was mentioning is too harsh in uh, in sort of its frustration with it not being um, it, it not being particular to, to Jewish belief or something like that um, or, or highlighting particular Jewish beliefs um, because like a guy saying that's that's also not the point of it um, but I think generally the the treatment of religion or what a what a religion is is a little different than um, than a type of culture that uh, that we can you know that ha- that has a spiritual element or a spiritual culture. And I want to take a look at a, a portion of the text. Um, let me find the page. Uh, Page 65, 65 in the, uh, not in the PDF numbering, but in the, the numbering on the top of the, the pages. And it's something the knight says. I'm just trying to turn to it now myself. It's right at the beginning of act four or towards the beginning of act four. Um, so the knight here is speaking with the friar. The friar again is that person who delivered the, the baby baby Rika up to, to Nathan. Um, and so they're, they're having a conversation. Um, And so the the friar speaks to the knight, and he says, And yet a priest, whatever be his business, would scorn the advice of knights or gentlemen. The knight, in response, For priests enjoy the privilege to be wrong, which we indeed are never jealous of. If twas nobody's business but my own, I should not want your patriarch. But there are many things in which I deem it safer to be wrong with good advice than to be right and not have asked any. Moreover, I begin to feel religion is party. However candid and impartial our professions and our turn of mind, we unknowingly support our party. So this is a really, really interesting way of describing religion, right? Um, You know, if it was nobody's business but my own, I shouldn't want your patriarch. Um, And he wants to be safer with good advice than to be right and not have asked any. Um, meaning, he wants like the community, his community, his Christian community, to be drawn in. And when his, que- you know, if it's a question about religion, his his statement is, "I begin to feel religion is party, and whatever our profession, whatever we think, we have a prejudice in favor of our party." So, what do you guys think of that that observation the knight makes?
1: I mean not to make this like modern day but it just reminded me of like the political parties that we're going through right now where mm-hmm. like even if you think something is wrong like you don't want to stray outside of your party's lines kind of a thing mm-hmm. um but in this aspect in the, the aspect of you know the crusades are happening which means you know people are literally killing for their religion um the fact that the Knights, the Templar Knight, who is, like, you know, tasked with kind of protecting, um, people of his own religion, the fact that he's saying, like, I kind of feel like we're just blindly following along, and we're not really questioning, you know, the stuff that's being told to us, even if it's wrong, um, I think that's a huge thing for the
0: time period yeah yeah and, and, and it's also an enlightenment idea right it's you know holding up to the holding up to the lighter and putting light on something um it, this idea of, of blindly following tradition or custom that seems to be held up here and it's it's interesting because i don't think the play is is endorsing the subtraction of custom or religion From life, I I don't think this is a play um, that is is invested in in secular as solution, right? You know, everybody's religious at the beginning of this play. At the end of this play, they've just managed to find a way to live with one another. They've managed to recognize their shared. Family values, so to speak, family in in many many ways in which that word has definition. Um, but I, I think you're right, Rachel, and it reminded me too of of kind of political party, right? Where eventually it's whatever your party does, you endorse, and the justification, the rationality, comes later, right? It's this is good, whatever that person, whatever that group says is good, and then rationality is a tool by which you can defend that thing, and so rationality has a lot of it has a lot of wiggle room right you you can apply it in many different ways, and I think that's one of the the big insights here that you know separates this play out possibly from um other enlightenment ideas and it you know the the kind of cult of rationality when reason became you know the the thing at the center of philosophies that is a little earlier, right? So that is more 17th century. Um, it is at the spark of the Enlightenment, but it isn't it isn't the only thing. And I think this play is um, holding up the source of of culture and tradition uh, to the light in that sense. So good. Um, so last thing I, I want to bring up we we're, we're, we have a oh, little have a little more time. We have about seven minutes. Um, so maybe not the last thing. Um, but one, a big question I have about this play, uh, is really, I kind of phrase it as a uh, David Hume versus Rousseau. And we've talked about Rousseau before. He's the like return to nature guy. Um, Jean Jacques really, he's like, like a super asshole. Um, but became the the toast of france uh, even though he's swiss uh, and then david hume the scottish philosopher who i think we mentioned in passing um and these i think these two thinkers are interesting for this play hume was famously an atheist um loudly an he was like the richard dawkins of his day like a like a, as annoying as possible about how atheistic he was uh and he saw in subtracting religious essentialism from the equation that people are made out of their social roles. And this is a little bit of a Lockean flavor to it. John Locke, who thought that we were born blank and then impressions were, were placed upon our mind and that made us who we are. Um, Human Locke are, are, are somewhat on the same page here saying that the person, our personhood is composed out of these social roles and, and religion would be one of those institutions that help shape social roles. Rousseau, on the other hand, as we saw before, believes in this, uh, authentic self and that the authentic self is, is essentially there is essentially true. Um, it's not a blank upon which impression has been made, but there is an a, a, a authentic person and that it's social interaction, which may be necessary but is also corrupting. When looking at this play in this in these terms, in Humean terms and Rousseauian terms, um, what what do you guys think? Do you think that it's a, a sort of a social role person versus the essential person, and that we have to still be able to recognize the essential person in regard even though there are social roles? Or do you think that it's a recognition of the the primacy of social roles and the structuring of individuals. Sorry, can you elaborate? On <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Uh, um, so let's think about it. Is does the play imagine an essential humanity? Um, yeah, he is definitely. More than a little, I think. But anyway, um, does this play imagine like an essential humanity that exists with these kind of social roles, this kind of this this religious space, this religious political space, subtracted, taken away, and we get this essential humanness? Um, Or is the play recognizing uh, that all people are kind of made out of the social circumstances in which they find themselves. And so tolerance has to be, um, that the kind of bridge between these inevitable gaps.
2: That's a hard one because I feel like you could make an argument in any case. And it would be like a solid argument. Like Hmm. I was trying to through it and choose, but I see it both ways. You could interpret it both ways.
0: Okay. So go for it. What, uh, What would be one way you can interpret it?
2: Well, I mean, on one hand, it's saying, like, oh, we have these differences, but it unites them in the end, you know? So there's, like, one united humanity, like you were saying. But on the other hand, well, I don't know. I changed my mind. I guess I feel more that way than I do, like, oh, we're embracing all these different traits. Because I don't think the play is really about... Well, I don't know if it's really about embracing those traits, so much as it is like oh just a fact like oh these people have these traits and you might as well get along with them you know
0: okay okay good yeah that it's that yeah these differences are there and so you know you might you might as well kind of find you find a common family bond okay
2: yeah exactly i what i didn't put it as articulately but yeah <laughs> that's what i
0: meant no, that's fine. yeah we're gonna um any other responses to that? Okay. Very good. I think we will. We have I think less than two minutes, so we'll start to to wrap up. Um, any closing thoughts about about this play? Are you, uh, we're, we might touch on it again, but we're going to, we have like the Peking Opera and Kabuki on Friday. Um, so I think we're probably going to be, it's probably going to be a lot of me again on Friday. Uh, we could talk about this play more, but I, I, I'm getting a feeling that we've, we've gotten what we need out of this play. We kind of understand this play in terms of, um, an enlightenment worldview. Hopefully that was the kind of the point of reading this. To see this turn towards um, towards world towards philosophy as shaping art, uh, and that's going to kind of continue in the next few weeks. Um, so, I think our next next major play is Wojciech. Uh, which is for Monday, which is, is very exciting. Um, I would check out the opera, if you can, by Alban Berg, or at least, you don't have to watch the whole opera, but at least some of the music. Uh, and the music is really suited to this play. So actually, the thing to do, listen to a little bit of Berg's opera of it, just you know, just how it sounds, and understand that that is entirely appropriate for the type of play that this is. Um and and that'll be fun. And then we will move on Friday to China and Japan to, to wrap up this week. And I will stay on here for a few more minutes if anybody has to, to talk to me. Okay? Thank you.